Hi. Welcome, everyone. It's Pipe Park Church. It's good to see everyone this morning. Whoa. It's always good to hear a first. W-O-E. It's like not the good one. It's the bad one. That's what I'm going to start with today. <laughs> um, okay. We are, this is kind of an on-ramp to Advent. Um, a, long, a long time ago, Susie said, hey, could you preach this Sunday? And we were doing the lectionary back then, and we hadn't started our series. And so I looked at the scriptures for this week, and they just painted this beautiful picture of the gospel. And I thought that would be a wonderful way to start Advent for us. And so there's a list of scriptures up here if you're a note taker. I'm going to say a lot of things. If you want to write stuff down, those are the ones that we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to start off with Jeremiah. This is the woe. Um, Always a good way to start Advent, right? Uh, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastures. Just so you know, when you read these woes and it seems like God's angry, a lot of times it's things that are keeping his people away from him. It's good to keep in mind. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people, It is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. And so let's listen for the heart of God in what what we're about to read. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, to my fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. This is the heart of God that we're hearing. I will raise up shepherds for them that will shepherd them well, And they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing. That's the heart of God for us. Not that any would be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Anybody know who that might be? Come on. Jesus. Um, And he shall reign as king. And deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this will be the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. He's becoming something for us that he wishes that we had so that we can be with him. It's the heart of God that this starts off with. Um, It's good for us to know that we are the sheep and that we will be with him. He's making this promise here. And then the lectionary goes on. And just, I've told you before, I always write an hour sermon and bring it down to about 20 minutes. And so there's some things that I'm leaving out here. But Colossians, uh, we're going to read the Colossians version, the the passage next. And anytime you're reading Colossians just as a rule of thumb, it's good to know that you're about to experience a fire hose being shoved right into your mouth, right? Right. Um, The reason for that is that Paul, writing from prison, is writing to a group of people that he's not met yet. Most of the churches that he's writing to, he either planted the church or some one of his guys helped him do that. Colossae is a group that he hasn't met yet. And so it's a wonderful opportunity to look into how did Paul explain Jesus to people? And Paul saw Jesus a little bit differently than a lot of the disciples did. Because as you can imagine, if you knew some guy, you'd been hanging out with him for three years, you see him a little differently. You see him more of his human side. Whereas Paul, when he was introduced to Jesus, he got knocked off his horse and was blind for three days. And so that's the one that he knows. Both of them are so true. But when you, talk, when you hear from Paul, the way he's going to explain Jesus to you is going to be different than the way Peter might explain Jesus to you. Okay? So when you go to Colossae, know that this is probably how Paul explained Jesus to people, which is super fun, I think. So starting with verse uh, 12. And um, 
I'm doing something for people like you, Cindy, who have the, a lot of the Bible memorized. Um, and and some, some of us, you know, you, you've read it so much, when you start to hear it, it just, your mind clicks off. I know this because it's just so rote. Um, I'm going to read this in a different version, and I'm not going to put it up here so we don't read it. I just want us to hit it. I want us to hear it differently, and maybe for it to hit us differently. So I'm going to start with verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father, he's already, he's halfway through a prayer. Giving thanks to the Father who has made you fit for participation in the Holy One's allotment in the light. Just pause for a second. You are a Holy One and you have an allotment in the light. Isn't that a beautiful thought? A beautiful sentence. Who delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us, to another beautiful phrase, into the kingdom of his love's son in whom we have the price of liberation, the forgiveness of sins, who, in the image of, who is the invi- image of the invisible God. That's a paradoxical statement, the image of the invisible God. And the more we know about him, the more paradoxical statements we run up against, things that just don't make sense. They're just too good, too, too amazing. Firstborn of all creation, uh, in that, that there's a connotation there that he was prior to all of creation. Because in him... Let's, let's put, our, put our thinking gaps on here. In him were created all things, in the heavens and on the earth, the visible as well as the invisible. I mean, it's an amazing thing already just to walk around, especially in Colorado. You see so many beautiful, majestic, giant things that are just, I don't know, they just, they, they're heartwarming in so many ways. And to think that he created all of those. In him they were created but then there's probably way more stuff that we can't see that he created as well, just to keep that in our minds. Whether thrones or lordships or archons or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So not only were they created through him, in him, they're also for him. He's the reason they're created in the first place. And he is before all things, and all things hold together in him. Are we getting a picture here how Paul's going to explain Jesus to you? It's more than a guy that was born in a manger and had a little extra, right? Everything was made by him. Everything was made through him. Everything remains in him, and everything is held together by him. So every single thing that's ever been made, if he was standing here, he'd have a hold of him. And if he just does this, it all disappears. This is such a greater image of God than I think a lot of us walk around with. I know me. It's so easy to forget all of this, that he is all of this. He's the head of the body, the assembly, who is the origin, firstborn from the dead, so that he might himself hold first place in all things. Yeah, first place is kind of a given when you hear all of that, right? For in him, here's what we want to talk about today. For in him, all the fullness was pleased to take up dwelling. That statement just doesn't make any sense. The, the one who just created everything like that was dwelling in a man. It, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. That's why we're talking about the absurdity of Advent today, because it is absurd. Okay, it goes on, but I'm going to stop here for time. So how do we get to this, what we just read from the heart of God wanting to gather things back together? So we're about to begin the season of Advent, and Advent brings us to this, okay? And I want us to kind of prepare for it. 
These people had been promised something, and they were estranged from God, and they'd been given this promise. They were living in darkness, and they had this promise that someday this dawn would come, and light would be here, and they'd be living in this light. What, and, you know, we, I don't want to belabor this point. We've all heard it a thousand times. But what they were expecting, usually by the time they, the, of Jesus, is they're expecting this... Um, being taken out of the Roman Empire, this evil empire that they were under, um, and being freed from that. But what they got was way beyond that. Um, So as we look at Advent, the coming of God to earth in a man, I want, sometimes it's helpful for, to me, to take a big step back. And uh, an exercise that's just been helpful for me as I read scriptures and think about some of these things is, what if I were an angel, right? What would this look like if I could see, had this perspective from forever away, right? So let's just keep this in mind. You are here, right? Here, this is a Milky Way, one of millions of galaxies in our solar system. Um, just to think about how big it is. And all this stuff holds together, was all created in him, through him, by him, for him. And he holds it all together, okay? So let's think... Angels understand things a little better in certain, in certain realms, I think. Uh, they get to see him more than we do. They have a capacity to receive more of him. So if we were an angel, let's think about who we're talking about. Um, you know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Nothing's been created without him. There, if there, anything's been created, it was, it, there's nothing, anything that exists that was created outside of him. In him was life. That light, that life was the light of mankind. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never overcome it or understand it. That's who we're talking about. So as an angel, we know that we're pretty ancient beings, but we also know when we were created, he was already there. So we're included in all of this that were, that were um, created for him, through him. He holds us together. And so a lot of our life as an angel is taken up with worshiping him. Seems, it seems that's the case when we read our scriptures, right? They, they spend a lot of time bowing down, singing, worshiping, all this kind of stuff. And it's just because, not because that's their job. It's because when you see him, that's just the reaction. That's what happens, especially if you understand him a little bit more. So they do a lot of worshiping. And then every once in a while, they get to um, do, do other things. And so we watched him create. Let's assume the angels were here when he watched him create. So we watched him create. We look at the universe and we've learned that it's ever-expanding, continually expanding to this day. And who knows how long it's been, right? That happens. He just said something, and that happened. Can you imagine watching someone just say something, and the universe that's ever-expanding just happens? And then we watched him, for some reason, go to this little planet and take time with it, take time creating it. Six days, we don't know exactly what that means, but it means he actually spent some time and effort and thought into creating this little planet. And then something just mind-boggling happens is he bends down and he takes some of this clay from this thing and he painstakingly creates a creature that somehow is made in his image. And again, we don't understand exactly what that means, but we, it's astounding that he would take the time, he speaks the universe into existence, And then he takes time and actually molds somebody. And then the most amazing thing happens is he does this beautiful, intimate thing. He reaches down, he puts his mouth on the mouth of this little creature and breathes his life into it. 
as an angel, that's a beautiful and a very confusing thing to watch, I would imagine. What is going on here? Who will these people be? Um, it would never enter our mind that they wouldn't just worship him like we do and do everything he says like we do. But then we watch, and something very strange happens is they start pulling away from him, and they start not receiving his love, and they start believing lies that aren't true about him. And it's just, again, we're very confused watching this. Um, he keeps trying to guide them back to his love and guide them back to his heart, and they, they just... They just can't make it happen. <laughs> they, they keep making other decisions. Now, there's a group of them that tries. I mean, they read his words, and they're trying to do their best. They, they, we fail again and again and again, but there's a group that does that. And then, so one day he speaks to them what we read in Jeremiah. You know, one day I'm going to send someone who's going to shepherd you well, who's going to shepherd you into my heart. So many of us angels have been tasked to help this along. You know, every once in a while you'll read in a, a, about one of us angels coming and appearing to someone in a vision or a dream or some encounter or something like that. And sometimes we'll fight on the behalf of these creatures, um, either in the heavens or on the earth. And then all the time we go back and we see them again and then we just start worshiping. So this is the life of the angel. Then one day something even more unimaginable happens something unexplainable, something unfathomable, something unbelievable is that somehow all of who he is was placed into one of those little creatures. It, just, it doesn't make any sense. And not into like a functioning adult who could protect himself a little bit, into an embryo in the uterus of a girl who lives kind of in the backwoods part of town, you know. It, when that happens, I, the angels are just freaking out. They have to freak out. Like if a human ever, when we read in the scriptures, if a human ever um, encounters an angel or sees something into the angelic realm or something like that, they, they just freak out, right? They fall down to the ground. Um, sometimes they try to worship the angel. They try to worship one of us. And we're like, no, we're nothing compared to him. But that's how it works when they enter our realm. It's kind of the same way, I think, with the angels. When they see all of God enter into the human um, realm in the body of a human, that, we're freaking out about that. It's, it just it doesn't make any sense, right? For us to see the fullness of God dwelling in him, that one man on that one little planet, it just blows our angel minds. It's just absurd. So sending someone else is what they were expected. But he went so far as to go himself. Um, we're talking about a trinity. And so two things are said, that God comes to earth and that God sends his son to earth. We don't understand the trinity, but both of those things are true at the same time. He sends his son in some kind of separation, but not a full separation, and then he comes himself. Um, so let's just try on, like, what would it be like if it is sending the son? Um, you know, I, I'm not an angel now, I'm Charlie. Um, I have a son. Um, I'm not a good crier. I wish I was a good crier because I think it's really good for us to cry, just to, but I, I have trouble. Um, I, I've actually asked the Lord to help me cry more. Um, but when I dropped my son Bo off when he was four to preschool, this, this wonderful little preschool, I mean, for three hours, mind you, 
I got home and I bawled my eyes out. I mean, because it was like, I, it was very hard for me to release him into an environment that I didn't control. What if someone's mean to him? What if someone says something to him and like damages his like self-worth for the rest of his life? You know, these are the things running through my head. God sent his son into a teenager who was unmarried into not the best part of town, gave him this backstory that would cause him ridicule with no apparent protection. And I mean, we all, we've been in church for a while. We know how this ends. Would I do that with my son because I love someone else so much? And the answer is I don't think I would. I don't have that kind of love. I mean, but he did. If that's not love, I don't know what love looks like. Um, It's a love that I don't understand. All right, so back to our angel perspective. So we watched God give himself fully, the fullness of God. I mean, if we think about who God is, I mean, we've just talked a lot about how great and grand he is, and it's not even scratching the surface. So if that God gives 0.5% of himself into a person on the earth, I think that's plenty. But God doesn't do it that way. (laughs) That's not how his love works. He gives fully, the fullness of God dwelt in a human being. Uh, One of my favorite authors right now is this uh, woman named Ruth Burroughs. She's a Carmelite nun. Um, And she referred to God in one of the books the other day as self-squanderer. And I, saw, I read that term, and you know, you have this immediate reaction to that, a self-squanderer. But when you think about what he does and how much he gives of himself to a people who can't really receive him, we don't even have the capacity to understand what he's doing. And we say no to his love so often. And even if we said yes to way, way, way more of it, there's just so much more left. There's so much waste, so much leftover because he gives himself fully. He squanders himself, and he's okay with that because of the love that he has for these people that he created. A wonderful thing. Uh, It blows my mind. And so as angels, okay, we were watching this happen. We're watching this this boy grow up. And we, I, I have a tendency to think that we as angels can see what divine life looks like walking around the earth. So there's this light coming out of him. They're just like, what? Do they not see it? Can they not see it? Uh, there's just, there's light bursting out of this man walking around and they don't see anything special about him. Then we watch him explain how the kingdom works. You know, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount for the last two months here. And that's God, divine life, explaining to these people, oh, this is what, this is who's blessed in the actual kingdom. And this is how people act in the actual kingdom. And we think as an angel, oh yes, he's finally telling them, now they're gonna listen to him and do it. Well, they don't. (laughs) And they don't really like what he's saying because it's totally against the, the world that they live in and what works for them, right? And so they go against him. And as an angel, I mean, again, I'm asking the question, well, what happens when you go against divine life like that? Will they become just like instantly incinerated? <laughs> or will they spontaneously combust as soon as they say, no, I don't think so? Because that's what it looks like to us with that kind of divine life. But nothing happens. And then we watch as people say No. And we watch people plot against him, and they seem very unincinerated. <laughs> it's, it's shocking to us that that can even happen. And we watch his life, and people get madder and madder to, about him. 
and people get more threatened by him. And that finally brings us to our last um, Luke 23 in the lectionary today. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Again, as an angel, life itself, in him was life and that life was the light of men. Life itself can't die. I mean, that just can't happen, right? And yet we watch it happen out of love. And he pronounces, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What? I mean, how does that even happen? And all the time thinking, why would he do this for them? Why would he? That's the question today. As we look at Advent, that's that's a question we can ask. Why? (laughs) It's just too much. It's too much. So back to the sanctuary. We're not angels anymore. We'll ask the question is, why is that? Why would he give all of himself way more than we could ever receive on this earth? And I found this little poem um, from the early, early, early church. Uh, It's in this papyrus called the Odes of Solomon. I'm just going to read it because I think it answers the question as well as anything. You know what? Um, Let's go. Let's skip this one and go to the next one. Sorry, guys. I skipped a whole page, so you're welcome. (laughs) Um, The answer to the question is here in the Odes of Solomon. His love for me brought low his greatness. He made himself like me so that I might receive him. There's the answer. He made himself low like me that I might receive him. I can't receive the one who speaks in the universe comes into exist, but a man I can receive. He made himself like me that I might be clothed in him. I had no fear when I saw him for he is mercy to me. I love these last two lines. He took my nature so that I might understand him. The heart of God is for us to interact with him, to understand him, to receive the love that he has for us. So he became like us so that we could understand him a little bit. And the last one, he took my face so that I should not turn away from him. That's a beautiful statement. We talk about Advent, him coming to the earth. He put a face like mine on himself so that I wouldn't turn my face away from him because he likes to look at my face. He likes to look at your face. He likes the sound of your voice. So he puts a face on himself that we might interact with him. I think I noticed when I was, uh, I, too much eye contact make, makes kids a little uh, nervous. Um, and so I always want to look at Bo's eyes and I want to speak things to him while he's looking at my eyes. But it's hard to get him to do that for very long. But when he was a baby, I noticed if I put sunglasses on, he could see himself in the sunglasses. So he's not looking at my eyes, but I get to look at his for a while, right? And I get to say things to him. Um, But it's the longest time I could ever look at his eyes. And even though he's just looking at himself, it it brings so much joy to my heart. So God's putting something on himself that allows us to look at him longer, and it brings joy to him. That's one of the reasons why he did all of it 
because he just likes us that much. That's flat-out love. So when we celebrate Advent, it's easier for us to get caught up in the sentimentality of it. We see the nativity scene away in a manger, um, and it becomes something in us that's so familiar and so nostalgic that it loses what, what's really happening here. And it's something astounding, and it's something amazing. So in this Advent season, my challenge to all of us is when we see a nativity scene, when we hear a song about the manger and those things, we think, wait a second, he's putting a face on himself so that I won't turn away from him. So that's my job during the Advent season is not to turn away. He came to us so that we can come to him. And welcome to Advent. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we don't want to turn away from you. You've given us a face to look at in Jesus Christ. And it's so much more than we think he is. It's so much more than we can ever imagine what you did when you came to earth, when you sent your son. Lord, in this time when we prepare for Christmas, when the Christmas carols start and the decorations are about, families around. Lord, we're so happy to be celebrating you in the coming of God to earth so that we can love you and so that we can receive you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.